Welcome to Building Sustainability, the podcast that brings you interviews with designers, builders, makers, dreamers and doers, exploring the wide world of sustainability in the built environment by talking to wonderful people who are doing excellent things. I'm your host, Jeffrey Hart. Hello, welcome to Building Sustainability, episode 22, which is the second part of the Barn the Spoon double bill. This episode is sponsored by Cyclair. Cyclair has knives and tools for all wood carvers, from beginners to experts. A wide range of spoon knives, axes, chisels, and more specialist tools from many manufacturers, including Mora, Beavercraft, Condor, Flexcut, Narex, and Woodjewel. Cyclair Shop. Great value wood carving gear delivered quickly. That's C Y C L. A-I-R-E, Cyclair. I should say that I am currently uh, on barefoot, my canal boat, uh, in a dry dock. And if you don't know what one of those is, it's essentially a big shed that you drive your boat into. And then they put up a barricade at the door and pump out all the water. uh, And so they can get to the bottom of the boat and do all the, the maintenance and work that needs doing. Uh, So if you can hear running water, uh, that is because the the barrier that they put in the door isn't a perfect seal. And so uh, there's water always coming in. And then as it builds up, they pump it out. Uh, So, yeah, I'm sorry if you're slightly unnerved by that sound. I do apologise. But imagine that you had to live with it for a week. So, yes, uh, the episode. Uh, This is the second chapter with Barn the Spoon. The first happened uh, right at the beginning of lockdown um, and almost immediately Barn messaged me to say that he wanted to talk more about something other than himself. So this episode was recorded at the end of May just before I headed back to work. And this one focuses on uh, new wood culture which is a term featured in Barn's book uh, Spawn. Uh, if you haven't read that and you're at all interested in green woodworking or the culture that uh, the barn talks about in this episode, then I'd certainly recommend that. Uh, and we start this episode with me asking barn, what is new wood culture? So I'll leave you with that. I'll speak to you a little bit at the end. Enjoy. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? 
and some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. I think I think it's actually a phrase that I coined. Um, right. Which is interesting. Although, really, it was um, Jared, Jared Dahl. Oh, yeah. Uh, and I think there was like a Facebook group called Wood Culture. Okay. Um, and so I started talking about like Wood Culture Renaissance. Um, and then Jared um, decided to coin the term... New wood culture, uh, oh. which I guess I think is better. I think re- Renaissance for me was, it was genuinely meant as a kind of rebirth um, because I felt like actually what a lot of us were engaging in was something that hadn't really been around. Yeah. Um, so had kind of died out and then was reborn. Um but I think new wood culture sounds more interesting. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. It's a nice little uh, little phrase. Um, so do you think that, it, I mean, Renaissance seems to fit in my thinking of it, as in it was a thing. Uh, you know, we all used to be a lot more connected to, to trees and, and utensils and, and the things we made from wood. And then that all disappeared somehow. Um, is that is that how you see it? Well, <laughs> I think, I mean, there's a lot of different ways to look at it. I think for me, uh, I guess I'm looking at it as more of a genre hmm. um, or a movement um, or an outlook. Okay. Uh, or, you know, a way of life, I guess. And um, I think a genre of music is quite a good analogy because I think um, I think particularly at the start of those music genres, people would have said the same thing, right? It's like um, it's about coining a particular style. It's about a way of life. It's um, yeah, it's you know it can be linked to lots of different things. A sense. Uh, I guess morality, maybe um, an aesthetic. So that's certainly what I was picturing when I coined the term, because I guess I I was looking for something that would um, try and make sense of how I felt about what what we were all up to. I guess, um, yeah. So. I think um, sometimes labelling things is helpful, sometimes it's not. And, um, yeah, I don't know whether it's um, necessarily something that's been massively thought through by any of us. Um, <laughs> like like those sort of originators of punk, do you think they're, they're just doing the, the thing 
and then sort of thought about the I don't know if punk's a good example actually uh, but <laughs> just sort of following on from your uh, <laughs> your sort of musical well, I, I don't think we were scary and dangerous enough <laughs> for um the right wing press to fill they needed to label us. <laughs> we're definitely not that cool unfortunately um yeah i guess um i think it, it's a, it's a label that's come from the inside which often mm-hmm. labels aren't um and i think sometimes we you know it's it's about tr- trying to communicate um communicate with the wider world and, and customers but also communicate with um I guess some some people that are kind of newer to um, the, the scene, yeah, um, and and also people from other scenes where you're like, you you can kind of take a step back and um, look at their scene and be like, oh, that's pretty cool, but ours is like a bit different, yeah, you know, and same uh, in these areas, yeah, different I think, here. I think that's that's what it was all about when when it started and um yeah so i think it's actually on the front front page of my book front Hang on, cover let's of have my a book. look so i think it says something like um your your book says uh a guide to spoon carving and the new wood culture by on the spoon yeah yeah i mean i don't know whether i'd see it as a guide to the new wood culture personally but um <laughs> <laughs> editors can't help themselves honestly <laughs> it's not even yeah um so yeah i mean what does it mean to you for for me i mean i take it as uh it's sort of a new approach to how we think about wood and uh the sort of culture surrounding wood kind of moving away from like everything's kiln dried and solid and you know you you use big noisy power tools uh and you don't really care what the wood is unless you know you're looking for different colors or something like that um so it's a lot more sort of caring it's a lot more uh holistic i guess definitely yeah i guess um yeah that's definitely a term that i would use um and so how is it different to green woodwork i guess um the it's the cultural aspect and maybe the more immersive um i guess grounding in the landscape you know literally in in trees and woodland and forestry management and um yeah i guess a more kind of organic way of life is is yeah i guess that's that's what it means for me who who do you see as sort of who are the the people that populate this uh this scene well that's a very good question <laughs> that, that was the best one i came up with all morning so. <laughs> um who do i see I mean, I think it's like a cloud, right? Like any any kind of movement or scene. Um, I worry using those words is going to make me sound pretentious, or or like we're we're kind of maybe part of something slightly more exciting than we think um, than than we actually are. But anyway, uh, if if 
I mean, a cloud is a very easy thing to look at and point at, and you know, you, you from a distance, you know what is the cloud and what is the sky. Um, but then, as you get closer, um, it's more confusing, I suppose. Um, but I think it's at its heart. I think it is. Um, it, it's it's mostly to do with people who have a strong relationship with trees really um mm-hmm. so in terms of harvesting um and the the use of wood uh maybe as fuel as well um yeah i think that's that for me is the kind of the pure concept of it um yeah but there's lots of people i mean i've got friends that work in forestry that are using big machinery but i would still consider that part of um our new wood culture um but i guess really the 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 term was um coined to describe woodworkers really (laughs) that that was that was what it was for um so and now there's a huge number of people that are engaged in it um yeah and to various levels, um, you know, and I'll use, uh, you know, chainsaws and bandsaws and all sorts of stuff. So I don't know. The I think it's a broad church, and that's a good thing. Right. Um, yeah. And, you know, sometimes in a church to kind of keep it together or move it forward. You need some crazy evangelists. Um, okay. Yeah. They're normally knobs, but (laughs) 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 it helps us all stick glued together. Right. It gives us, um, some kind of flag to wave or something that, um, (laughs) holds it together as a group. Yeah. Um, and you know, often, often you'll come you'll come on board and and when you're a newbie that's when you're the kind of most extreme evangelist and yeah. um you tend to find people that've been around for 10 15 20 30 years are a little bit more chilled out about it all to be honest mm-hmm. um so and i think that's the same in all all kind of groups really group behavior it's quite a kind of normal thing i think i'm I'm wondering at this point if uh so well i'm thinking about the bodgers ball and uh the the competitions you can enter there or the the yeah i guess that's what they call them and Mm. there's a i've never actually been but i've been told about it and uh there's to my understanding there's a uh you have to You've declare. You've never been if, to a Bodger's Ball. I've never. I was supposed to go this year, but. Uh, oh. Well, let's definitely go next year because I really. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, but sorry, yeah. So there's a uh, something to tick to say that no power tools were used, you know, at all, uh, and you have to declare that. Don't right. You? Yeah. So I think that's a fairly new thing. I don't think I've seen that Is before. Um, but I've not been for a long time. Okay, I, because I wondered if if they were the uh, evangelic. In, uh, I can't say the word evangelical. 
Yes. Are they? Would that make them the evangelical ones? Not necessarily. And actually, is 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 brought up an interesting. Well, it might not be interesting. It's brought up something I want to say, because um, because yeah. in reality, you know, one of the things that I guess we were trying to do with Spoonfest and coining the term um, wood culture renaissance or new wood culture was actually moving away from an organisation like um, the Polo Association. Um, And that, for me, was important, actually. Um, So at the time, the Polo Association was um, very much uh, about amateurs. um, And then maybe, I guess, some semi-retired men that would be going to shows and getting paid... Um, and I think we saw ourselves as professionals, mm-hmm. um, and that being something quite different, really. Um, and I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't take anything away from the Polo Association. I think they've they've achieved huge things um, for decades, uh, and there's many wonderful people um, that are part of that. And these days. Um, there's a lot of professionals that will be part of the Polo Association. Um, so, yeah, I think it's it's an interesting one, but it was definitely part of it for me, actually, back then, was seeing that there were some of us that were doing something completely different. Yeah. Um, and, and trying to find a way of communicating that. Um, so, sort of creating your identity a little bit. Yeah, yeah. So, and I, you know, I think it, it's been, particularly with, with Spoonfest, I think it's been very interesting to see how we've created something that was very different um, and how that's had a big impact on how other festivals run. Um, and, yeah. But I, I guess... Um, it's funny because, I mean, you know, I'll, so I'll have people come on my classes and they'll be like, someone in the class will be like, oh, you know, how can, how can we sand these spoons afterwards? And there'll always be someone who will be like, oh, that's sacrilege. Um, <laughs> and bear in mind, yeah. this is like a, a beginner's class, right? So these guys, are, you know, they don't, they probably never met another spoon carver or carved a spoon before mm-hmm. but somehow already they know that um spoons shouldn't be sanded and uh <laughs> i kind of quite like that it's because because you know if i go back to kind of 15 years ago whenever i was starting to try and sell stuff everyone would be mm-hmm. like oh why haven't you sanded it um and so I think that kind of thing is what um, new wood culture is. Um, yeah. And so I've got nothing against people sanding spoons. Um, I think sometimes it's probably quite a good idea. I, I've tended to uh, suggest uh, that people, certainly on a, a course with me, that they, they sand that little spot uh, on the neck uh, because of the amount of people that will just keep carving that little bit again and again yes. and again until until they've got little <laughs> little toothpick holding the the bowl of the spoon on, uh, and it's not even going to be smooth because you know they haven't quite developed the skills yet. 
it's uh, it's definitely a classic, and also just trying to get the bowl smooth as well. Mm. Um, so yeah, it's funny because it's it's an aesthetic and it's part of that new wood culture. Um, definitely is to to leave a kind of tooled finish on stuff, but when you're trying to get someone to enjoy something and to kind of cherish what they've made, then yeah. actually, you know, a bit of sandpaper is fine, isn't it? Like, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. So um, for, for the people who are listening who maybe aren't, aren't into the green woodworking yet, what what's the argument around uh, sanding? Why is, what's the difference between a tooled finish and a sand finish? Well, so I, I think there's a, there's a lot of, uh, different arguments what I, I think one thing from my point of view is that there's there's a lot to be gained from trying to do something really well mm-hmm. and if i wanted to make something and sand it and do that job really well then i would probably just do it all with machines mm-hmm. um but then that would be a very different existence so i'd be using big expensive dangerous noisy dusty machines to do something really well and get a good finish um, and a great product at the end that would look completely different Um, so what we're talking about is the kind of thing that you can do with just a sharp edge um, which is cheap um, and it requires skill Uh, so the other doing the other side you don't have to be skilled to do it. To do it mm-hmm. well, then you have to be just as skilled. Um, but you can get away with it. Uh, so I think, yeah, that that thing of using a really sharp tool, um, and then you don't have to have loads of dust masks and PPE, and it's not noisy. Mm. You can do it any way you like. You don't need electricity. What was the question again? Oh yeah, it's something like why shouldn't people use sand sand spoons? Yeah, I mean the the other question is why why should you make a simple spoon? Because the the natural thing for society is the kind of propensity towards complexity, to value complex things, and. You know, that, that for me, that's a much more interesting question rather than the sanding, sanding of spoons um, is, you know, why should you make a simple spoon? Um, why, sh- why should anyone value a simple spoon? Which side of the fence are you, are you falling on there? Are you, are you championing the, the simplicity? Totally, yeah, because it's very easy um, to to just ignore um, simple everyday things. And I think um, there's something really special about valuing uh, valuing something simple like that. So, you know, it's like valuing a dandelion as much as you value a rose, you know. Um, and it's the thing, you know, people have often said to me, why why don't you get all the love spoon carvers to come to Spoonfest? Um and we so we have had um oh god I've completely forgotten his name. Oh Stuart King, who's a wonderful old guy. 
um, who's done all sorts of crazy stuff over the years. And he came to the very first spoon fest with some love spoons. Um, but I think it's not what needed championing. Like society already values something that looks complicated and makes makes you feel like the person that, that made it is skilled and clever. Um, so I don't feel like that's what we needed to do. And I think it's the same actually with new wood culture. Everyone knows you can go on Instagram and see all sorts of crazy stuff. You, you, like anything made in wood, there'll be anything. Mm-hmm. And um, like the kind of Grindon Gibbons stuff, which actually honestly doesn't impress me at all. It really doesn't. I don't know if I know what that is. Um, he was like a fancy woodcarver from the olden days. So he'd like carve like cherubs and leaves and all sorts of stuff to decorate fancy homes um, from lime. Okay. And I look at it and I just think, you know, what was what was the point? <laughs> you know, that should have been made in plaster. Like, there's no, there's no nothing to be gained from that being made from wood whatsoever. Right. Um, possibly a weight issue, but yeah, just it's not strong. It doesn't. I to me, it just looks a bit grotesque anyway. Um, but uh, yeah, I think that that for me is is another thing, um, and I think the it's it's normal for people to move away from simple functional things um with Mm -hmm. a kind of natural organic aesthetic towards complicated um you know more yeah moving away from functionality and um Mm -hmm. that that I think is something that I feel like I've fought against quite hard. Uh, although often um, it's not got me anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I was reading something in your book um, about um, the way sort of once you're you're sort of into spoon carving the. You, you sort of don't hold a spoon the same way again. Uh, you don't eat food the same way again. You're sort of thinking about mechanics and about uh, rotations of sort of the hand. And uh, I'm, you know, paraphrasing, obviously. Um, but yeah, that's, that's an interesting thing. And I think that ties into what you were just saying, like the, the sort of simplicity of thinking about forms from from that aspect rather than from a highly decorated uh, I don't know. Like the love spoons are, are you know, highly decorated, mm. but they're not very good as a spoon. Exactly. Yeah. You know, getting getting soup from a bowl into your mouth—they're pretty awful. Well, I suppose that's that's partly where it comes down to, like a way of life or a morality uh, or an aesthetic. It is mm-hmm. is the way that you look at the world, right? And um, that that you know in a in a simple way is i guess how you place value on things um so yeah i think it's it's great to think about ergonomics and functionality um to think about the material uh you know there's there's a lot a lot of the kind of trendy spoon spoon carving these days is about 
giving a little bit of a nod back to the material so leaving cleft surfaces that show the kind of fibrous nature of the wood um and that you know that's uh the kind of semiotics of that is kind of communicating to to people in the know um and that that's uh becoming a, a larger and larger number um of people and and like you know someone like um daniel lundberg making a shrink pot and leaving axing marks on it um yeah you know that why isn't that in a tate do you know what I mean? Like, why isn't it? And <laughs> I think, you know, I think someday that, that, that will, I mean, I, I don't think, I don't think we're going anywhere. I, and I mean that in a good way, like we're here to stay. Um, and I think that's a really good thing. I don't <laughs> think it's just a kind of flash in the pan, uh, trend. Um, and it's, it is, is fascinating. And I love, I love that maybe 20 years ago, someone might have thought that there was no space to move within, you know, like basic wooden craft functional wear that you couldn't have these different people with, with their brands Mm -hmm. making something that, you know, on, on one level, they're just identical, but they're not, they're so special and unique. Um, and that's amazing yeah i love that and and the creativity within that is a really beautiful thing um yeah and it links us all together um but there's so much diversity within it um and that's a very you know for me that's a very organic thing mm-hmm. um so yeah it's it's very exciting actually very exciting We'll be back after a quick break. Hey there, I'm Mick from the Mick and Pat Show. That's right, and I'm Pat. Looking for a podcast that's like catching up with old friends? Well, you're in luck. We're here to bring you weekly doses of lifestyle commentary, discuss culture and politics, and top it off with the occasional beer and film reviews. But it's not just about us. We're a community. Our listeners are our kin, and we let you all have a say in what we discuss. So saddle up and join the conversation at the Mick and Pat Show. You can check out our website or find us wherever you get your podcasts. I agree. I think it's interesting the way, uh, well, I think spoons uh, definitely have have been a sort of gateway. I think even you said they were a, a sort of gateway into green woodworking. Um, and then there's sort of fashions which seem to be sort of flowing from that sort of within a, a more sort of centralized culture i guess you know a lot more people are getting into bowl turning now and and that seems to be yeah you know, the new trend i guess within this this bigger culture what uh what bowl turning mm. or maybe that was last year's trend yeah i don't know dave seems to have got everyone making chairs at the yeah moment, so yeah that's the thing and you know don't forget that the big thing was the pole lathe way back before um any of us yeah that was the exciting thing that got the the pole lathe uh well it wasn't even the pole lathe and greenwood working association it was a pole lathe association Mm -hmm. and um yeah all all of these things are such separate um things in their own right like pole lathe spindle turning is is a miraculous wonderful thing to Mm -hmm. do um as is turning a bowl 
and yeah furniture making and you know all, all the different aspects um i think spoon carving within that and and i you know obviously you could say that i'm biased but i do genuinely think that spoon carving has got a very special place within all of that yeah um what do you think causes it, that? well it encapsulates some of the most basic tools um because essentially what we're talking about there is a very traditional woodwork right that um an individual could probably set themselves up to do i mean at you know at Spoonfest, we've done a smelt for goodness sake where people have made metal yeah but there's not i mean that that's all you need to do and then you're there because making a wooden mallet doesn't doesn't take much ingenuity from a tree and and you know you can make everything else then you can make your your lathes and your workbenches and you know but essentially if, if you've got an axe a knife and a bent knife um i think they're they're pretty basic tools and mm -hmm. then what's the quickest um coolest product that you can make well it's probably a spoon yeah so i think that's that's why it's so cool uh, and it's obviously very entry level um mm -hmm. and by learning to use those tools and sharpen them um it's it's obviously very different to using a pole lathe but you know sharpening an edge is sharpening an edge yeah um, so they do all feed into each other um the thing that you know pole lathes don't have is um the the ease you know it's so easy to just get a bit of wood for a spoon mm -hmm. and to you know half an hour later have one whereas you know spindle turning although it's incredible um one of the most useful things about it is joinery and you know turning all the components for a chair and making a chair is a is a long long project mm -hmm. for a beginner um and it's the same with bowls you know to having an understanding of the material is probably even more important for turning a bowl um it's not really a beginner's thing very few people go on a beginner's bowl turning class and then t suddenly they're a they're a bowl turner uh as their hobby yeah um it's, it's, so I think it's it's been slower off the mark, basically, yeah. um, because of that. And actually, the strength um, of our movement and, you know, the scene is is demonstrated by the number of people now that are doing these more complicated, um, or I guess more, I should, complicated is a word that I was just saying is awful. Uh, <laughs> what do I mean? it's harder to get into yeah um so it's yeah i think it is a sign of of how strong strong it is yeah um what what sort of changes what what changes have you seen in the last well maybe since you've been running spoonfest say what are the developments and sort of trends you've seen well so I mean, just within spoon carving, the, the big thing that we did at Spoonfest was bring foreigners over um, who were really great. Um, and I think there was a real drive for it over here, um, which which I don't know where that really came from, but people really ran with it. Um, 
the quality of spoons massively increased after the first couple of spoon fests. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, I'd like to think that, you know, even things as simple as the shop at Spoonfest, where you can buy spoons, really help that. Um, and it's funny, the little nudges that I've given, um, and, you know, obviously at Spoonfest with Robin, the nudges that we give the movement, um, I can see the impacts they have. Uh, so when I first was around, no one would have bought a spoon, mm-hmm. you know, but why would I buy a spoon? I'm a woodworker. I would just carve my own. Um, but by by telling people, well, you know, this guy from Sweden, Fritjof, he is one of the best in the world and you should definitely buy one of his spoons because they're amazing. Um it meant that people then had those spoons and because I think a lot of people don't get it. They don't realize why theirs isn't, isn't as good as Fritjof's. Um, and yeah, by buying them, then you've got them and you can see you spend time. They're like a sculpture, you know, they're, they're valuable, precious things that people should desire. Um, and just like people would go and visit sculptures in a park, um, it's really nice to buy craft items and, um, you know, cherish that experience of using them like a sculpture. Mm-hmm. And and that just wasn't the case before at all. And would you get people buying spoons uh, on a course? So buying, buying your spoons? Or would you even sell them sort of in the beginning? Well, so I mean, <laughs> when so when I first set out, I was um, really trying to to claw in any money I could. So I would try and make a few spoons <laughs> during a course. Um, right. Whereas now, like, it doesn't even cross my mind because actually, the last thing I want is to kind of increase the beginner's expectations of what they'll create by the end of the day. So I'm normally making a very basic spoon or, you know, and, and actually, you know, normally kind of half start and half finish four or five spoons during a day class. And they wouldn't look anything like the spoons that I post on Instagram. Um, whereas, yeah, when I was first teaching it, I would, um, you know, I'd be thinking, well, if I could make another four or five of these and sell each of those for seven pounds each, then I've made another 35 quid. Uh. <laughs> and, and were people buying them yeah yeah i mean this what, when i said people weren't buying them what i meant is people within the scene you wouldn't have oh i see so i mean I you see. know i used to sit on the pavement and people always bought my spoons um i think because actually people really love spoons just it's just a nice thing yeah and um obviously back then i was selling them for a fraction of the price of what we all sell things for now um Mm -hmm. which you know was it was made possible because i didn't have any overheads because i slept under a tree yeah um but yeah really that that what the point i was trying to make was that craftspeople didn't you know they weren't buying buying things because they were like oh i can make this and Mm -hmm. i think I think that was uh, that was something that we we really brought to the table actually, and by really showing people how much we valued 
these incredible craftspeople coming over and how special what they had was. Um, and, you know, how, how much we wanted it, you know, and that, that one of the driving forces for creating Spoonfest was because we wanted to fund our, our way of spending time with these people. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, me and Robin are hilarious, but like, we, like these guys would come over and we, we wouldn't really be thinking about the festival. We'd be thinking, right, as soon as Jared's got his spoons out, I'm going to get the best one, <laughs> you know? And um, Robin, who is a sneaky bastard, uh, would often like get in there first, which I think it's very mean. Uh, but um, crikey, yeah, we that that was definitely a thing. And um, you know, the first few Spoonfests, I was up all night, pretty much every every night, like because we'd be running the festival, and then I'd be like spending staying up all night talking spoons with Fritioff, you know, like yeah. Because we just didn't have that, you know, there weren't people into it. There was no one to talk to about it, you know. It's like, mm-hmm. just like two or three kind of obsessives that were kind of like, yeah. So, it's amazing what's happened, really, yeah. Um, and where, so where where do you think it's it's going? What do you, what do you think the, the future developments could be? I, I think the... The world is changing very dramatically at the moment. Uh Um, And I do think, uh, and I hope, uh, that we're moving to a greener way of life. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I'm I'm sure most of us would say that it's not enough. Um, But I think... And I'm hoping economies are going to be looking at climate change and how we live our lives and how we work. Yeah. Um, so for me, I'm I'm very interested in what our scene has to say and and how we can input into that. Um, you know, woodlands are going to be valued uh, at a kind of increasing value you know people are going to want to be outside um experiencing nature increasingly and um i think i think as a group as a collective we've got a lot to say about how that can be done in a really beautiful way Mm -hmm. um so yeah that holistic approach um inclusive uh trying to generate diversity mm-hmm. um yeah i think those those kind of things i think that's that's the future um yeah i hope it's not just about glamping because you know obviously rich people get to do what they want all the time right yeah and uh it's a shame if that's where all the woodlands go okay yeah, yeah. i see that so I don't know. It's interesting. I was talking to a friend that works for the Forestry Commission the other day about like, um, you know, why can't that, if you think how many thousands and thousands of acres of woodlands in this country, and, and they're in small patches, right? A lot of them in small patches, completely unmanaged. Hmm. And um, in many respects, 
they're not creating their own diversity because they're too small um, and they're unvalued by farmers mm -hmm. and people. Um, you know, why can't we take some of that back? Like, there could be thousands of people working in small-scale forestry in this country, making a perfectly good living um, and having a wonderful life. So, so why, why yeah. don't we do that? And it's always the same answer, right? It's always the same answer. Um, so, yeah. And, and I what, think what what is that answer? Um. Well, I, I guess the the people in charge, uh, it, it doesn't necessarily benefit them directly. Right. Yeah. I see. And I I know there are there are there are a lot of rich people in this country that have got their little hobbits in their woodland that they've kindly let live in a yurt that are doing a bit of coppicing and isn't it quaint? Um, but I think actually it could be a very beautiful, dignified way of life where the government could, um, you know, it could be a vocation, mm. right? Like you apply for a job and you get to live in the woodland and... Um, you know, as some kind of craft consultant or forestry consultant um, for the for the local community, where school groups can come, you can make products. You know, it could just be a normal thing. Yeah, like like you have a postman. You just have like your woodman and woman. Sorry, uh, but do you know what I mean? Like, why why can't that like that? To me, that makes so much sense. Yeah. So is that, I mean, that must be happening in some places, though. Well, not, not, I don't, there's no kind of national movement for that. It's not an official thing. So right. that, that's yeah. my fear is that it all just goes to glamping, right? Uh, and, you know, often it's nice when things have got longevity, right? Mm -hmm. Things fizzle out when it's just some posh guy with like a nice idea and then, you know, it's someone with a big heart and a strong passion for something. And, you know, it goes for 15 years and then it's done. Well, that's not how woods work. You know, we should be thinking, like, what's this? What is this ama amazing coppice going to be like in 100 years time? Yeah. When it's been managed on rotation, you know, every seven years or every 20 years, five times over. You know, how how can I be preparing this woodland for the next generation? And the problem is, I uh, I mean, I'm not I'm not a communist and I'm not very good at politics. But the problem is when it's some rich guy who's got a passion and he does this wonderful thing and his kid goes off to private school and then he trains to be a lawyer. Who's to say that he's going to care? to come back and look after this woodland, right? Mm -hmm. So that's that's why if it was actually a thing that was owned by the country, which we all have a stake in, right? Like we're all citizens of this country. Yeah. Is that what we are? I, I yeah, think so. Something like that. You know, why why can't yeah, some something that we've all got a stake in. And then, you know, you could be like, oh isn't it great that, you know, 
like a school group could visit and it'd be like this is claire you know she's done a six-year apprenticeship and she's moved here she's now managing this woodland and this woodland is owned by us Mm -hmm. it's a it's a national resource and there's one of these you know for every 10 square miles or something i don't know do you know what I mean? For every parish, or yeah, that would be the definite uh, continuation of the yeah. And you know, they could have a house that they can live in, and it can just be part of the vocation. Like, look, you can live in this house, mm-hmm. but you can't pass it on to your children. It just comes with the job, and that's fine. You know, if if they want to own a house, then they can invest in a house elsewhere, and you know. Just think it's it's a totally viable thing. Um, but at the moment, all we've got is kind of rich landowners and, um, you know, begging or pleading for yeah. some kind of deal with them. Or um, woodlands for sale, where kind of big woodlands are kind of cut up in small bits and you've got people that, you know, they maybe go camping there twice a year with their kids and hack, mm-hmm. hack at some of the trees or, you know, they maybe have like a nice idea that they're going to coppice it and then kind of realise that actually it's a lot of hard work and they can't can't really manage 10 acres whilst yeah. also having a full-time uh, job. What are, what are some of the... Um, what are the benefits of the world? did I just go all negative? Then? No, I mean, a little bit, but... Uh, <laughs> no, it's a, a valid... Uh, a valid rant. Uh, what what are the benefits of a a well managed woodland? Well, it looks nice. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there's a. Do you know Rich Ely? I don't <clears> think I do. No. You should put his link on uh, with your podcast. I think he's called Greenwood Craftsman or something like that. Um, okay. He's lovely, uh, and he takes lovely photos of very neatly coppiced areas um, right so yeah i think so what what did you say again what's the benefit of of doing it nicely um, of just managing a woodlands so i think you you say in your book that you got 50 percent of all woodlands are unmanaged and what what's the what would be the drive uh beyond sort of creating these jobs maybe to to actually manage those woodlands surely just leaving woodlands to do what they do is is the natural way well so i mean obviously there's lots of different schools of thought um mm-hmm. i have to say that figure of 50 percent uh i can't remember quite where i got that from someone who works in forestry told me that so um okay. i didn't actually count them all myself so the, i'm disappointed to learn that <laughs> i mean you, you'll know like for example where where we run classes in London, quite close by, there's an old cemetery park. There's mm-hmm. a Victorian cemetery that's overgrown in trees, right? Because it was just left for decades um, yeah. and locked up and no one went in and blah, blah, blah. So, and then that just becomes a bunch of sycamore trees uh, covered in ivy, no lights coming through. Um, and that's that's a bit dull. Mm-hmm. Um, so is that stopping extra extra life because the trees are just too big? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, well, sometimes it's small patches of woodland don't necessarily kind of look after themselves and create a diverse patchwork, which is what you would get if you had a very large swathe of woodland. Um, so you'd have okay. different species growing at different rates and 
um, you'd have things breaking up the environment to create different habitats, which would increase diversity. Um, uh-huh. So when you're looking at small woodlands, um, that doesn't really happen. Um, so by managing it or coppicing it, you can create a more diverse habitat, which is a beautiful thing for nature. Um, diversity, is, I think, is, is just inherently good. But if mm-hmm. you want to think more kind of, um, well, I guess in, in terms of strength, um, you know, it's good to have a diverse environment because you don't know when, for example, a disease might come along and if everything is identical, then it's going to kill everything. Um, yeah. So, yeah, there's, there's this good argument for diversity um, from that respect, but then also just it's nicer as a human being to experience all these different wonderful things. Um, mm-hmm. And then, you know, from a woodworker's point of view, obviously a properly managed woodland is going to give you um, a much, much better product. Um, yeah. So, and, and, you know, if it's managed sensibly, then it's renewable, sustainable. Um, which is a, a good thing too, because we don't want to be destroying our environment because it's where we live and it's what mm-hmm. we rely on. Um, so yeah, I think uh, without doubt it's it's important. And I think you know the, all all the stuff that we've been talking about is small scale, really, um, and that isn't to say that I'm opposed to much larger scale forestry um Mm -hmm. but that's not quite the same as the new wood culture um and the thing that i would say is that there's room for both yeah Uh, how do how do they sort of live side by side well i mean that's the difficult one at at present it's difficult isn't it because you know you I, th- I think some people are trying to do little deals with the Forestry Commission. Um, and, uh, you know, I know, for example, where I am, there's a, a guy called Scott who runs a project called the Rewild Project where they're managing some woodland and they're running some classes. Um, so there's quite a lot of that going on, um, which is great. But uh, I would like to see see it on a national level yeah um supported um like your local library you know so and that that would be a very different thing um but yeah totally can run side by side well for example um you know big forestry doesn't want hazel coppice yeah that's why it's just left farmers don't want a hazel coppice they only want it because they get some subsidies for it, probably. Uh, I'd say I don't really know the details on that. <laughs> Allegedly. Well, farmers do get money for just leaving bits of land yeah. aside. Yeah, yeah. Um, And I think they do get money for, for woodland and for planting trees. And But half the time, the trees are crap and they're all squirrel-bitten and, mm-hmm. you know... The wood hasn't got necessarily a kind of value in biodiversity or in product, which just seems crazy when you could absolutely nail both of those, plus give someone a wonderful life. Yeah. So there's there's countless tiny little woodlands that, that should be managed. Um, 
on a small scale that have got no value to big scale forestry. And um, yeah, it's just one of those things that slips through the net. So, so I had a friend who uh, was appalled to see that someone had cut down her uh, a woodland near her, uh, and she well, she didn't realise it was actually a coppice, and so. Uh, <laughs> Could you explain to, to people sort of what what's the difference between cutting down a, a coppice woodland and uh, like clear cutting a a sort of uh, softwood plantation or something? Uh, what is the difference? Well, hmm. I, suppose, I suppose they're both done. Um, if they're done well, they're both done in a very similar way. Yeah. Um, which would be thinking about kind of resource management and making sure things can grow back by the time you come back round to it. Um, so I think, you know, big forestry is meant to behave in that way. Unfortunately, if you're, if you're talking about very large swathes, then you're creating a bit of a desert when you cut all of those trees down. Yeah. Um, and, you know, in, in other countries, they cause very serious problems with... Um, mudslides and you know how how water behaves within the environment mm-hmm. and um there's there, i guess the, the thing that's a real problem is is when it's big trees that are very old um that aren't going to grow back in 30 years yeah uh and have no chance at all of um being a sustainable regenerating resource mm-hmm. um so i think big forestry can behave in a way that does that um but for me what's really beautiful is is the kind of smaller scale coppicing where you might be growing trees for for boards um and you'll also be looking at having um using younger trees for lots of different things whether it's um pea sticks or furniture making or um i met a guy recently uh who who owns a woodland and he's a kind of archaeologist um and tree surgeon and Uh uh, he's actually uh spends quite a lot of his time preparing lime bust for um weavers i think weavers what was that lime bust what's that the, the inner bark okay of lime were you thinking lime like lime mortar like no, a lime tree no th- yeah tilia uh yeah lime yes i yeah I've, I've never heard of that that part of the tree uh yeah have you way. not no right yeah you kind of you ret it i mean i might be getting all of these words wrong <laughs> retting retting is like where you rot away a lot of the sugary stuff yeah so you're really kind of left with like carbon i think you know it's like and it's beautiful i mean you know when you see lime bark that's just been left out and it's all flaky it delaminates into these incredibly thin layers yeah um so yeah you you can pollard a lime tree um well like westernbert's got the of of huge and ancient lime um coppice uh and it's it's for stripping the bark yeah um so you pollard it and you know particularly with something like that it's so different with spoons because you could use any old junk for a spoon but 
for you know you want nice clean poles to take these strips of bark off and then uh he he was saying he chucks them in his in his lake for a while and they rot down and i I don't actually know what you kind of do to prep it it's not 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 my thing Mm. but um it's it's about creating fibers for for stuff Ah, a fascinating Um, another way to use trees though yeah bark bark is amazing roots are amazing roots are really beautiful um yeah so what were we talking about uh i think uh i'd asked you about the difference in between coppicing and and just clear cutting yes so clear clear cutting's bad it's not it's not doing it with foresight and and thinking about when you come back around yeah um so and and again you know it's it's not it's not something i've i've never gone and coppiced a woodland for seven years yeah <laughs> so I, i'm not the one to be t- telling you about it really but you know if you if you're doing a hazel coppice then you've got these hazel stools and um i guess a lot of people well there's a lot of hazel um overstood hazel coppice in this country mm. where they were they were managed coppices and and um or, and and now they've kind of grown too big so people restore those um and you know you'd you'd have your kind of seven different patches and you'd you'd cut cut one coop each year um and then you know by the time you get back round again you've got seven years growth because that's because specifically hazel is going to grow back you don't need to replant you don't need to you know the the tree isn't dead because you've cut it Exactly, yeah. Yeah, and so, I mean, so many of them coppice. So, like, ash coppice is a wonderful thing. Chestnut coppice is a wonderful thing. Um, so there's still, you know, industry in this country for chestnut fencing and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so a lot of people will, will probably recognise, a, a, you know, coppice, um, uh, chestnut cops with uh, chestnut stalls mm-hmm. and... Um, yeah, I think it's it is a wonderful thing, and it can it can be managed on lots of different levels, really. Um, but yeah, clear felling is a terrible thing, and especially if they're old trees. Yeah, um, you're taking an environment that's beautifully biodiverse, and you're just turning it into a desert. Yeah, so. I'm reading uh, the Overstory at the moment. Have you read that? No, I tried to, but there was a bit that was really depressing at the start. Right. Uh, yeah, there's some there's some hard bits in there, but the bit that I'm yeah. reading at the moment, they're uh, they're just trying to defend uh, the the one of the sort of thousand year old great redwood trees. Uh, right. And they're, yeah, they're clear cutting the whole the whole the whole strip towards it, and so it's obviously really yeah vivid in my mind at the moment. That's probably why I'm <laughs> just asking so many questions about it. It's a good book. I need to give it another go. When they all died from carbon monoxide poisoning, I was just like, it was just before I was going to bed. I was like, I can't believe <laughs> I have to just lie here and think about this. Yeah. Um, no, I think it's a great idea, though. I mean, do you, how old are you? Me, 36. Yeah, so we're a similar age. Mm. You're definitely younger, unfortunately. <laughs> well, I don't know. What, I, don't, I don't know why I said unfortunately. I mean, I, you know, I just wish I was younger. Yeah. Anyway... Um, do you remember Swampy when he was on? Yeah. The news? Oh God. Yeah. 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 He was in. Uh, was it Newbury or was it Newbury Bypass? I think so. Yeah. 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 What? I mean, what a wonderful thing! <laughs> and 
because I had uh, quite a, I would say, a fairly conservative upbringing. Yeah. Um, and not very diverse. And I wouldn't say that I was brought up necessarily with any um, political beliefs. Uh, but yeah, to see this guy on the news and he was definitely different. He was. Um, Didn't they make it into like one of the, the soap operas? Didn't they have a character that was strikingly similar to that after like East possibly, Enders or Coronation yeah. Street? Maybe I'm just, yeah. really, I'm not sure. That might be a false memory. I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, you know, what a wonderful thing to have this guy that's on national news because he's like, well, I'm tying myself to this tree because I don't want them to cut it down. Yeah. And uh, it's a powerful thing to have someone that cares so much about something like that. Definitely. Do you, th- do you think that's, I mean, I, I'm asking that like, I think it's a question. I like, I think I know the answer. Uh, it seems to all tie back into the new wood culture, like people going out, getting involved in woodlands, becoming interested, wanting to protect them, wanting to be part of them, wanting to manage them. It all, it all seems like that, that comes from, you know, a a fun little craft. Yeah, totally. I mean, you know, I think, it's what we value is really important and what we believe in and what we spend our time doing and thinking about is really important. And um, for me, that's one of the things that's most exciting about spoon carving is that, you know, you can go from buying a cheap mass produced knife online and buying a lump of wood on the internet, getting it sent to you in the post. Mm -hmm. And uh, the, the hope is that you'll end up meeting wonderful people in the woods and talking about trees and caring about trees and nature and having that as a kind of foundation for how you see the world yeah oh that was a wonderful sentence (laughs) (laughs) amazing i don't think anyone's ever said that to me before (laughs) i'm gonna tell calf yeah Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. So thank you very much to Barn uh, for this episode and the last one. Uh, It was really a joy to talk to him. And a big thank you to you, the listeners. Uh, If this was your first time joining us, then welcome. 
uh, please subscribe and check out the previous episodes. I think there's a lot there that you'll uh, enjoy. And to the regulars, thanks for coming back. Always great to have you here. Big old thanks to everyone that's left a fantastic review or a five-star rating uh, in their podcast providers. They really do help uh, spread the, the, the podcast and get it to a, a bigger audience. So thank you for that. And of course, a huge thanks to the Building Sustainability patrons. Uh, if you'd like to support this podcast and help make more episodes get made, um, then head on over to patreon.com forward slash building sustainability. Uh, you can get involved in sort of more back-end parts of the, uh, the podcast. I'll be adding more more incentives and more exclusive stuff up there soon. So that's it for this week. Thank you very much. I look forward to seeing you next time. I hope that you're all very, very well. Bye-bye. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.